Let us worship God. A reading from the book of Genesis, the 17th chapter, beginning with the first verse. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. God, source of all light, by your word you gave light to the soul. Pour out upon us the spirit of wisdom and understanding, that our hearts and minds may be open to hear your word this day. Amen. When Abram was 99 years old, the Holy One appeared to Abram and said to him, I am El Shaddai. Walk in my ways and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you and will make you exceedingly numerous. Abram threw himself on his face and God spoke to him further. As for me, this is my covenant with you. 
You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations, and you shall no longer be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I make you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I make you exceedingly fruitful and make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will maintain my covenant between me and you and your offspring to come as an everlasting covenant throughout the ages to be God to you and to your offspring to come. God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she shall give rise to nations. Rulers of people shall issue from her. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. I shall see the good. 
reading from the Gospel of Mark, the eighth chapter beginning with the 31st verse. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Humanity must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all of this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Humanity will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Creator with the holy angels. Here ends the reading. I'll never forget the first time I heard of LARPing. I was sitting in a tea and scone kind of place that offered friendly games of checkers to keep company. It was a place to gather in ones and twos, in a room of pinks and yellows, where no table severed life without a doily. The trance of what can only be described as Strawberry Shortcake's dream house was broken by the sound of the bell on the storefront's door. In walked two medieval knights, stopping for a treat mid-trek into the woods. And this is when my best friend revealed to me the hidden secrets of a never-never land and what it is to LARP, otherwise known as live-action role-play. Events are usually held somewhere out in nature with fields and woods and streams, and attendees play fictional characters that they develop, often dressing in medieval garb. There are rules that they learn before the event and a story plot, there's often some conflict between characters or groups and a battle featuring weapons constructed with foam. LARPs can last a whole day or a weekend and sometimes longer. As he makes his way to Jerusalem, I like to imagine Jesus is in full garb on his way to go LARPing. But instead of donning medieval attire, He's dressed as Napoleon, confidently leading his concerned men who are dragging their heels. After telling Peter to get back in line, who's following who here, he strides on ahead, yelling back over his shoulder, Come on, let's go. 
I'm gonna get killed, you're probably gonna get killed, we're doing this thing. Hip, hip, hooray, let's go. It's easier to go along with him if I imagine him as a brassy character in a story. A character already painted in a picture book, a character we already know will win. Then I can go laughing along with him. It's the personalized version that is more difficult. It's the heaviness of the crucifixion becoming real. The realness of being persecuted, of being so unjustly and inhumanely treated, that's harder to accept. And that's before all the dogma that's been built up around the cross. That's before the standardization of substitutionary atonement, before the glorification of suffering, before the normalization of a bloodthirsty God. So, seeing a caricature in Mark's Jesus this week was a welcome relief. And in a way, not so far off from what might be happening when Jesus invokes the phrase, son of humanity, or more traditionally, son of man. Though not everyone had a uniform understanding of what was meant by son of man, there was a trend in Jewish communities, certainly throughout the first century CE, and arguably for centuries before that, of imagining that there was someone in some form or another, some being chosen by God to look out for the people of the earth and to one day vindicate the long-suffering righteous ones, even if long after their death. The Son of Man was like a dream that resisted calcification. It was living, not owned by any one faction but freely adapted and reimagined by different groups in different settings and with different scriptures. In the face of hardship, they too trusted in that long arc that bends toward justice. A being with a form like a human, whether actually a person or a kind of celestial angel, and backed by God, was going to make the world right, even though the world wasn't right now. In some versions, as in the book of Daniel, this character rules like a king. In others, as in Genesis, he acts like a high priest. And in more than one, he sits on a throne of glory acting as a most incredible judge. Those who stand before him are unable to pull the wool over his eyes. They are unable to speak anything but the truth. And the mountains of gold and silver they once used to wield power over the lowly now melt like wax. The place we learn most about the Son of Man about that tradition, is in the first century Jewish book 
of First Enoch. As the story goes, Enoch is the great-grandfather of Noah. And in the book, Enoch has a vision of being taken up into the heavens in a whirlwind, not unlike Elijah. And when he arrives, he is given a vision of wisdom to bring back to earth. When I first opened the pages of First Enoch, knowing it was going to be exploring the end of days, I expected to be overwhelmed by the harsh scenes and grim words of an apocalyptic text. But instead, I was greeted by beautiful poetry. It reads as if written through the innocent eyes of a child who dreams of a place of holy beings who are forever looking out for the people of the earth. Holy ones, angels with specific jobs, wisdom who was created first before creation and now dwells in the heavens. All the celestial bodies and their storehouses, the sun and moon and stars. It's like listening to a child tell a story, incorporating all the things they know into their dream of what heaven is like, and including their attachment to fairness as they imagine the world being ordered by God. An order that up until now has been hidden to us. Gratefully, Enoch was accompanied by an angel of peace who was willing to explain things so that he could tell us. In the midst of this tour, Enoch sees four archangels, and the angel chaperone with him tells him their names, names we might recognize. Michael, Raphael, Gabriel, Phanuel, these angels pray without ceasing, blessing God, the chosen one and his work, and praying for the well-being and protection of those who dwell on the earth, and that all the Satans, plural, would not persecute them and would be driven away. The chosen one is the angel who has the appearance of a man, long hidden and created by God, before the earth was formed. He is to sit as a judge and to put things right again. Those who have been made rich by persecuting the lowly, the kings who sit atop their thrones, the powerful who perch on their robust couches, will be made to rise in the presence of this Son of Man and given couches of worms instead. It's a remarkable scene. A whole celestial world looking out for the people of the earth eternally. A world ordered with justice the way we dreamed it should be. For a people who have endured much, it must be a well of resilience to believe the community of life is pulling for you that God is pulling for you, that archangels and angels are pulling for you, that the sun and moon and all the celestial bodies are pulling for you, that wisdom 
is pulling for you. That this was a trend in Jewish communities to take fragments of an idea and to grow stories about someone, some divine being or human exalted, to look out for the lowly, says something about their hopefulness. It says something about their strength of spirit. In our story of Abraham, there has been little reason to hope. It's at the age of 75, when he's still Abram, that God first tells him he's going to be a great nation. Years later, God assures him that he'll have as many children as the specks of dust on the earth. And yet he still remains childless. God promises yet again, this time, that his offering will be as numerous as the stars. And that night, a deep and terrifying darkness descends on him. And God tells him that while he will indeed have offspring, they will reside in a land that is not their own, and they will live as slaves and will be oppressed for 400 years. But Abraham, God says, will be able to return to his ancestors at the end of his days in peace, for not unlike the spirit of the Son of Man, God will judge the nations they serve and will bring about these children's vindication. And after making a covenant with Abram, the God of heaven and earth comes through. At the age of 86, Abram has Ishmael with Hagar. And in his 100th year, and in Sarah's 91sts, Isaac is born. Throughout the turns of his life, Abraham knows great hardship and great wealth. But his blessing and his hope, however elusive, has always been found in his children. The promise of one looking out for them long after he returned to the earth was his peace. Abraham's story was written by those living through the Babylonian exile, when the people had no land and no hope for a future. As with Abraham and Sarah, and maybe through them, their blessing was in their children. Their hope was living in their future. While I may not believe in a God who moves us from one square to another in a friendly game of checkers, and while I do not believe that God plans for our suffering, I do find something meaningful in being connected to the community of life across space and time, in pulling for one another through the stories we dream and tell. Though they are no longer living, I am somehow in it with them, holding on to hope when I imagine the childlike Enoch in the heavens 
and the still confused Peter on the road and the aging Abraham in the dark, just as they were holding on to hope for future generations, for us. They believed in our future, and I believe in theirs. Hope doesn't always arrive from within our own circumstances. Sometimes darkness descends on us. In those moments, deep in the crowded wilderness, a bridge can form to the rest of Abraham's celestial offspring. I may not always feel hopeful from my seat in life, but I feel hopeful about Sasha. I feel hopeful about Helena and Elise. I feel hopeful about Juan and Juliana and Ella and Hugh. I feel hopeful about the future of all of our children. And when we feel hope for another, it grows in us as well. May it be so for you and for me. Amen. For all of the
as we continue now with the prayer chants, you are invited in the silence of your hearts to offer your prayers of intercession and supplication, those prayers for the world, for those you love, and for yourself to be given to God. Oh, 
Let us pray. Holy One, you have fed us in song, in silence, in candlelight, and in community. And for that, we give you our thanks and our praise. Amen. Go forth knowing you are supported and strengthened to live out your life as you inhabit that great ark of justice. And may the grace of God who created you in love, the peace of Christ who teaches it is possible to be love, and the power of the Spirit who calls you ever forward into new experiences of love be and abide with you this day, this week, and evermore. Amen.